At this time, we have an opportunity for spiritual preparation. Uh, 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you know, this prepares us for the intake of God's word, putting us back into fellowship. And so let's just pause for a moment of silence and then I'll open in prayer. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to assemble together as believers in Christ. We know that this is a privilege. There are many around the world that are struggling with just trying to meet as a result of the antagonism towards your word. And so I pray now, Father, that if there's anything vying for our attention, that we would lay those aside so that we can focus on thee and focus on thy word. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to read something from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as the deacons are handing out the elements, beginning with the, uh, the wafer. It never ceases to amaze me when we look into this passage here with regards to communion. Go ahead. So we'll partake together. Just wait for the elements to be dispersed. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. What's interesting here is that he continued to meet with his disciples knowing that he was about to be betrayed. So in spite of the trial before him, he still had a relaxed mental attitude. And he assembled with his men. And then he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. The wafer is symbolic of his bread. He gave his life for the world so that those who would believe in him would have everlasting life. The scripture says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, which is now going to be dispersed. You'll notice the sequence here. Each time he says, do this in remembrance of me. Very, very important to know. So as we are partake, partaking, it's important to recognize that we are told to remember him. So if there's something on your mind right now, lay those aside and think about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we partake in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Scripture says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, meaning he gave thanks, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, again, in remembrance of me. Let us partake.
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, and then as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And he concludes by saying, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this is why the churches globally recognize the ordinance of communion. We are taking this time to recognize and remember and recall what Jesus Christ had done on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. And because of that, there is hope. So whatever it is that we're struggling with, any trial, any difficulties, Jesus wants us to put that aside and remember him because it's what he has accomplished that allows us to make it each and every day. What does the Bible say about salvation before we get into our message? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So throughout those passages, you can clearly see it's the issue of believing in Christ. It's not about changing your life. It's not not about being good or perfect. We're all imperfect. We all fall short. But the issue is simply believing in Christ. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the issue is believing in Christ. But if you are a believer in Christ, the issue has always been 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, why do I say this? Because every time we approach the word of God, it starts with you're either a believer or you're not. If you're not a believer, you start with first becoming a believer in Christ so that you can understand the scriptures. The scripture is clear that the unregenerate man cannot understand the word of God, 1 Corinthians 2. And so I always make it a point to start with that protocol because just in case someone is listening online or even here, and if you are not a believer in Christ, we start with being born from above. And once you are born from above, you can then understand the notes that I'm going to display. Because if not, you're just probably going to look at it and say, what is he talking about? doesn't make sense. So having said that, here's the goal for this morning. We're going to move through the book of James. We're going to look at some verses here. And I'm going to continue to move through James because this is a part of our basic series which is really related to phase two salvation, which I believe is critical because we need power. We need power to live the Christian life or the spiritual life, and that can only come by means of God, the Holy Spirit. As I've said before, and I'll say it numerous times, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life on your own strength. Every time I talk to someone, someone will say, oh, Pastor Fred, 
The Christian life is so hard, I want to just give up. Well, give up. You don't approach the spiritual life or the Christian life in your own willpower, in your own strength. That is why you're being defeated. It's a decision that starts with faith alone in Christ alone, walking by means of the Spirit. And as you walk by means of the Spirit, you will not what? You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, that is an absolute. You're either walking by means of the flesh or the Spirit. If you're walking by means of the flesh, you're going to have hard, difficult times. You're going to say, I want to give up. We all want to give up. It's not easy because it's impossible, which is why I've been focusing this year on just looking at phase two. Phase one is what? Save from? Penalty of sin. Phase two? Save from the power of sin. How many of you are saved from the power of sin? That's not immediate. You must know how to access that power. Save from the power of sin. So that means there has to be a way to thwart the flesh. Is there a way? Yes, the scripture does teach that. And I don't think the average Christian understands that. I think we just kind of lackadaisically in the back of our mind say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. So what? In the middle of the week, you're going to have hardship. You're going to say, I can't get, I don't get this. I've been praying every day. No resolve. That's true because praying isn't going to fix the problem. Sometimes prayer is not the answer. Walking is, abiding is, following is. That's the answer many times. The verse that I often hear, God causes all things to work together for good. What's it say? What does it mean to love him? Obey, abide. And yet so many Christians dangle that around and say, hey brother, everything's going to be fine. No, it's not. Yeah, you're on the, you're out, you're homeless. Oh, God's going to cause all things to work together for good. Really? We don't know if God is disciplining that man on the street because he went awry, awry with his family. He started getting onto drugs. I'm just saying that as an example. What if he left his family because of drugs? He started to use his paycheck to get drugs and then he forfeited his family. He lost his family. Are you going to tell the person God will cause all things to work together for good? No, that's a mishandling of the verse. If he is, if he is loving God, that's a different story. But what chapter and verse determines if he's loving God? Where do you find that? John 14, 15. And I think John 14, 22 as well. There's two or three times there. We have to be clear on this because if not, we're going to sit there and scratch our heads in the middle of the week and say, this Christian thing isn't working. This Bible doctrine does not work. Yes, it does. But we need to understand the component of phase two. We're good with phase one because it only takes place once. Once you are born from above, you don't have to be born again and again and again and again. Just once. However, you can be saved multiple times. How can one be saved multiple times? Phase two. Saved from the power of sin. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Walking by means of the Spirit will allow you to experience that. So many people know the Bible, but they don't know, they know the 
God of the Bible, but they don't know the God. What is it? Hold on. I'm going ahead of myself now. They know the Bible, but they don't know the God of the Bible. What do I mean by that? We can quote scripture. Romans 8.28, but do you know him experientially? I'm not talking in a charismatic or Pentecostal way. I'm saying, do you know God for yourself? Can you actually say, yeah, I know that two years ago, I went through severe hardship and God saw me through. I know that for a fact. Can you identify with that? That's what it means by knowing God experientially, not some mystical fashion. Oh, we got to take a retreat and rest and go to the heavens or the mountains so that we can know God. Baloney, you can know God right here in your own home. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go on a vacation. You can experience God right where you're at. Because God is, what's his essence? Omnipotent, omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, so you don't have to go to the mountains. What's the other one? Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. The three O's. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. O, O, O. O. Right? Those three are foundational to the essence of God. And that must be known personally. Each of you must know that firsthand. Not because pastor said so or the Bible says so, but because you know so. You need to know the God of the Bible. Bring your Bibles to church? Good. Know your Bible? That's good. But do you know the God of the Bible? That is what is important. So many churches out there have their Bibles in the back seat, collecting sun, and it's rotting. We not only need to know the Word of God, we need to know the God of the Bible. Very, very important to know. So, so much for starters. But I just think that is so important because we sometimes, I hear online and even people who will sometimes email me and say, I just, I want to sometimes give up because it's so hard to be a Christian. And I say, it's impossible to be a Christian. Okay, let's look at James 1 verse 12. Here we go. Have blessed is the man who what? Hupomeno, it's the word for endures. It's color-coded again. Hupomeno, so the Greek word is there on the bottom, those who like to uh, write it down. And blessed is the man who endures what? Trials, temptation. There's a variation to the word depending on the context. It could be rendered temptation or trials. So blessed is the man who endures trials. For when he has been approved, He will receive what? The crown of life. Remember we went through some of the crowns two weeks ago. So if you're undergoing major trials, hang on. Hang on. In the end, you will receive the crown of life. But please notice the word when. There could be a long time when that takes place. The word when. When he has been what? Approved. Hal, your daughter, um, Pastor Boards, right? 
How long did it take for her to find the answer to when she finally passed? Do you remember how long? A month after each test. A month after each test. So she didn't know until 30 days later. So likewise, it could be a long time to find out if we've been approved. For when he has been approved. It could be 30 days. It could be 30 years. It could be after the rapture for some of us. Prior to the rapture. But for sure in the Bema Seat judgment, which is for the believers only, when we get judged for what? What do we get judged for? Works. Never for sins. Because sins have been taken care of on the cross. Very basic, but sometimes it's good to review. So the man who endures trials. Any of you going through trials? Praise the Lord. We all do, right? When he has been approved, when you weather that, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has what? Promised to those who, there's that word again, those who what? Love him. So what, are, what do we say about those who love him? Promised to those who what? What's another? Very good. To those who obey. So that means going through the trials. We started with James 1. Remember, count it all joy when you encounter trials. So when you go through trials, we're supposed to consider it all joy. Why? Because it's targeting our faith. It's working at our faith, ultimately resulting in endurance, perseverance. And then he taps it off, tops it off in verse 12 by saying, By the way, when you have been approved, God will approve, will re- Disperse to you a crown, the crown of life, which he had promised as you continue to love him during the ongoing trial. So hang in there. Don't give up. Take the doctrines that's been stored up in your soul. God causes all things to work together for good. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Store up all that doctrine and apply it. Exhale it. Inhale it. Exhale it. Inculcate it and apply it. We're going to find out in a moment. James doesn't want us to just be merely hearers. He wants us to be appliers or doers of the word. So we are going to receive the crown of life. Now, that shouldn't be just our motivation. We're told in 1 Corinthians 3, gold, silver, and precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble. Why would a person receive wood, hay, and stubble if they're a believer? Why not gold, silver, and precious stone? No spiritual production. They're out of fellowship. Their motivation is not proper. They're doing it out of the energy of the flesh. So if Rick gave me this cup of water, but he failed to 1 John 1, 9 before he gave me this, wood, hay, and stubble. Didn't amount to anything. However, if he 1 John 1, 9, if he rebounded before giving me this, gold, silver, precious stones. Does that make sense? So you get rewarded when you are in fellowship doing under the operation of God the Holy Spirit because our works are like what? Filthy rags. Unacceptable. We need to be under the direct influence of God the Holy Spirit. How does that take place? 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. So moving forward. So he had promised the crown of life to those who 
love him and it's con- it's conditioned upon enduring the trial itself that takes us to James 118 and 119 please look closely of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And he goes on to say in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, that's in-house lingo, telling us and cueing us that these are referring to who? Believers. Now, just in case at this juncture you didn't know that, let's just say the word brethren was not here in James 1.19. Anywhere else in James that we can conclude that this is written to believers? Verse 2 of chapter 1, very good, Hal. Verse 2 of chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 3. Brethren, brethren, brethren. So it's written to brethren, believers, in Christ, those who are in union with Christ. He says here, of his own will, notice in verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of his truth. God brought us forth by the word, by the word of his truth. And by the way, I would take this to be physical birth and spiritual birth. Physical birth and spiritual birth. He calls things into his existence. So a person is born once or twice and either dies once or twice. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Did I confuse you? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you are born once physically only, not born again, but physical only, you die twice. Physical, physical death, spiritual death. What's spiritual death? Lake of fire. Which is why we are to advance the cause of Christ because we know, they may not know, that eternity is in the balance. It's not about being good and changing the color of their hair. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has everything to do with birth. Birth takes place at the moment of faith. And the world has been confused with what it takes to have rapport with God the Father. It's just simple faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And here, it's he brought us forth by the word of truth. That truth is originates with God and ultimately scripture, which brings about our existence. So we have physical birth, spiritual birth, that we might be a kind of first fruits. And I mentioned this two weeks ago as well. But let me just add some clarity and some definition on what what I mean when it talks about or what it means regarding first fruits of his creature. <clears throat> and so the first fruits, the idea is as one is in Christ, we are set apart for his purpose, representing a special and valuable part of God's creation. The first fruits of his creatures, right? See that in verse 18? 
So which implies that we have a unique role and responsibility to live in a way that reflects God's character and sets an example for others. I mean, so far up to verse 18, James 1 is hammering on the idea of behavior because faith is about behavior. Faith without works is dead, chapter 2. But we're going to see if we have time, not today, but maybe in the future, that faith without works doesn't mean you don't have faith. It just means that it's useless if you're not exercising good works. And remember the example. If some, someone comes to you in uh, need of clothes, food, and you say, be warm and be filled, and you do nothing about it, James says, what good, if, what good is that? You have all this doctrine stored. Doctrine without application is useless. That's all it means. So here, we're the kind of first fruits. We represent him. So we have this opportunity to shine for Christ. Now look at verse 19. <clears throat> so we set an example in verse 18. And in verse 19, so then, because of verse 18, my beloved brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, let every, one, every man, and that of course refers to man and woman, be I want to make sure I say that correctly because this is what the word says. It's not I have I don't have to adjust pronouns here. This is what the word says. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is wisdom now coming from God. Let every man be swift to what? Listen. Listen and slow to speak. We get in trouble when we speak too soon. So the word says, as we're going through these trials, because this is in the context of trials, chapter 1, he says, listen properly. Listening properly is key in endurance under a trial. That's the very first step. Be swift to listen. Have you ever argued with your spouse? You're going back and forth, shut up, this, this, and that, back and forth. Sometimes we have to slow down, slow to speak, and swift to listen. Sometimes the argumentation would not be as escalated as it is if we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. If we would take the wisdom from James, we probably would spare a lot of arguments with husband and wife, or even with kids. Sometimes our kids are trying to explain something and we're saying, no, you're wrong. We're quick to say, shut up, go there, go to your room, clean your room. But honestly, James says, wait, be swift to hear first. Maybe he has a point. Maybe there's a legitimate reason why she did that. He did that. She said that. He said that. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. These are instructions from God. So when we experience a stressful situation we need to heed to the doctrine that's found in God's word. Here it is, James 1.19. We tend to want to be heard during tense situations. That's human nature. Listen to me. Hear what I say first. You, you know, but James has it uh, quite the opposite. Be swift to hear. So we need to heed to the doctrine found in this passage we want to be heard during tense situations than to just listen, which leads us to God's wisdom, which is slow to speak. 
So be sure you're listening and be sure you are slowing down your speech. So when going through a trial, another way of saying this is cover your mouth like this. You're about to argue, just go like this. Slow to speak so that you can listen. Swift to hear, slow to speak like this. What you say, honey? That's James. That's not Freddie. Sometimes easier said than done, right? But if we inculcate this now, when the pressure is on, we can say, oh, what did I learn in class the other day? Last Sunday? Oh, yeah, James says, I better listen, quick, be quick to hear, and slow down my speaking. Because when we get uptight, we're rambling 100 miles an hour with our what? With our listening? Our words. Sometimes we regret what we say because we're 100 miles per hour with the words that we're saying. And James says, no, slow that down, detune it, take, get off the gas. Don't hit the turbo. Get off the gas and be quick to listen first, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Which takes us now to the next passage. He continues on with saying, for the anger of man does not achieve what? The righteousness of God. In other words, it's a reflection of his indwelling presence. That's the way I would render it. The anger of man, if you're not following verse 19 and you're fuming and you get to the point where you're angry, says the anger of man does not achieve the reflection of the God's presence or the indwelling presence in your life at that moment. Now, can we lose the indwelling? No, but we don't have that reflection of him residing in us when we are angry. That's what 20 is saying. The anger of man and woman does not achieve the righteousness of God. We don't look anything like God when we're throwing our hands up like this. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, I want to deviate just a little bit, and this will cause for the rustling of pages in your Bible. Turn to 1 John 3, 9. I just uh, wanted to talk briefly about this. We're not going to get into anything heavy-duty here because this is going to take a little time to really pick pick it apart and parse it and do all the exegesis. But it's easy enough to just comment and show you the tension in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. You all have it? How many of you have been riddled with this? Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Anybody sinning here? Because First John says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. First John 3, 9. What? Now, if you're like me, you're probably saying, well, I just sin prior to coming to church. That's why I needed 1 John 1.9. I needed to rebound several times. 
So let me read it again for the recording. Whoever has been born of God, you all have been born of God, I take it. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So the easy explanation for this in your English Bibles, just using the English, is that notice the word seed. The seed has been born of God. Notice that? His seed remains in him, inside the believer, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So the seed component, the regenerate new man, the inward man, cannot sin. It is never a reflection of the new man. Because that seed never sins, it comes from God. That's the new nature at the moment of faith. So, if I can simplify it, if Freddie sins, it's never an expression of the new Freddie that has been born from above. It is a reflection of my sin nature. Does that make sense? Let me slow it down again. Your eyes are rolling like this. Sin is never a reflection of the new you, the new man. In Christ, we are a new creation, right? And I'll I'll take us to Romans 7, so maybe that'll help drive this home. But if I commit a sin right now, that is never because of the new Freddy that has been regenerated through faith alone and Christ alone. The expression of sin in my life is the result of my sin nature, never the new nature. So for support, let's turn to Romans 7. Maybe Paul can say it better than I can. Romans 7, let's go to verse 20. This is where Paul is having a difficult time. Romans chapter 7. By the way, I don't mind if you are slow in finding the books of the Bible. That's not a problem at all. Please take your time. Use the contents if you need to. Those online, even those here. Romans seven twenty to 25. Let me read that for the recording. And then hopefully that will buttress what I just said in 1 John 3, 9, beginning with verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, in other words, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay? For I delight in the law of God according to the, what's it say? Inward man. I'm looking at verse 22, Romans 7. Romans 7, verse 22, going on to 23. But I see another law in my members, in myself, warring against the law of my mind. So remember, in his mind, he knows the law of God. And he delights in it. Do you ever delight in the word of God? Oh, yeah, praise God. I love this doctrine. Hypostatic union, eschatology, essence of God. I delight in my mind 
the law of God. But then on verse 23, Paul says, I see another law in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. So there's the law of God and the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's frustrated. Verse 24. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul, as you'll recall, in this passage, he talks about the things he wants to do and the things that he does not want to do. The things he does not want to do, that's what he do. That's what he does. The things that he wants to do, he doesn't do it. The ongoing struggle of the flesh and the sin nature, or the, the sin nature and the new nature. The law of God, the law of sin. Okay, let me see if I can say it again. Would you agree that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak? You can all identify with that? Okay, let's take that. The spirit indeed is willing. Willing to what? Not sin, right? Not sin. But the flesh is? So you're either under the influence of the flesh or the spirit. If you're under the flesh, you have a tendency to act out on the sinful tendencies. Okay? So if your weakness is lusting, stealing, cussing, you will have a greater tendency to carry those out if you're not filled with the Spirit, if you're not walking by means of the Spirit. And in 1 John 3, 9, my point there is that the seed that is in you, the new you, born again, you, never ever expresses itself in sin. It's always the direct result of the old sin nature. Does that make better sense? Are you still confused? Rick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it is confusing, and a lot of people will render that as, um, especially the NIV translation keeps on sinning, but that's a mishandling of the translation there. I don't agree with that. The New King James renders it better, and the Greek text is ideal. So the idea is whoever's been born of God does not sin. And it's the new man that does not sin. The seed that's in you is, a new, for example, Anne has a new nature, right, Anne? Come forward, Anne. She's my helper today. Anne, if she sins today, it's not because of her new nature that's inside. 
it's because of her sin nature or flesh. So if she does something for God, it's never because of her sin nature. It's because of her new man, the new nature that's in her. Is that make, is that a little easier? That's right. Thank you, Anne. Yes. And the third one is the uh, soul. Right. Or, so if, if, if it comes with the explanation that your sin is sin. your old nature, part yes. of your soul, your human spirit, which has all the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ, is not able to. Yes. The new nature does not sin. That's what I've been saying. The new nature never is an, every sin that we commit. You'll commit sin later, tomorrow, next week. That is never an expression of the new you. Remember what Paul said, I war inside, but I, at least in my mind, I can worship God. So the tension inside is a very real, that's a reality for all of us. But if we sin, it's never because of the new man. We've been made a new creation in Christ. That is never expressed by sin. We don't express sin from our born-again side. If we do sin, it's the old Freddy. It's the old man. It's the sin nature. It's never express, Sin is never expressed by the new you at all. So when you want to do something good, the spirit indeed is willing. If at a point in time you can do that good, that's the new you expressing itself. That's never the old sin nature. Hopefully, Debbie. Yeah, um, just two questions. What was the Greek word that you said? Um, let me see if I have it here. Um, it's the word continue. Um, yeah, so. Huh? Yeah, poeo. Yeah. That's right. So, okay, we're going to have to spend a little bit more time on this next time. Let's just move through James. Sorry, I opened up a can of worms here. But hopefully I got piqued your interest here because um, I wanted to say uh, my point. Now I forgot my point. What was my point? Um, oh, there it is. Verse 22. I think this is where I was going. 21, I'm sorry. Can't even read the numbers right. Okay, 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness... And all that remains of wickedness and receive, in humility, receive the word implanted. And so that idea of the word implanted is already in an indication that they're believers. He's, James is addressing believers because the word has been implanted. Notice what he says here, which is able to save your suke or life. So that word suke or souls is also rendered life. So that's phase two, right there. Putting aside all filthiness, 
all that remains of wickedness and instead in humility, childlike humility, receive the or the word receive is the idea of welcoming. Welcome the word implanted, which is able to deliver your soul or your life. So this is phase two now, right here in front of us. James 1, 21. So he's implanted a new nature in you, and you have everything you need for spiritual growth, but you have to receive humbly by placing yourself under its authority. So now, that takes us to 22. So, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So that word be comes from the Greek verb uh, ginomai, which is a present middle imperative. Present tense means ongoing action. Middle verb mean, uh, middle voice, lost my train of thought there, means that the subject is contributing to the action of the verb, which is being doers of the word. So be doers of the word and not simply hearers of the word. In fact, let me, so I can not lose my, there it is. I'll just pop it up there for you. I know Anne likes the, uh, Greek words there. So, ginomai. Then we have um, the word doers right there. Poietes. The noun poietes, which just simply means doing or doing. Doers. Do. One who does. And then for the word hearers, we have the noun acroates. Acroates. Right there in the blue. So be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James 1, 22. So if you look closely, so there's a lot of things going on here. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what does every word here say? He's saying to Freddie, don't just hear the word of God, but be doers. What did Jesus say about doing the word of God? Anybody remember? James is telling us, be doers of the word. What does Jesus say about doing the word? Okay. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, first book of the New Testament. We're looking at verse 24 to 27. I'll read it for the recording, Matthew seven twenty-four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. So there's solid structure there. The foundation is strong. And the rain descended, verse 25. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. 
Verse 26. However, or but, everyone who hears these sayings of mine. So you, you have your Bible, you're listening to the doctrines, you hear the word, but, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So what did Jesus say about the uh, application of his word here? Here to summarize it. What's going on here? James tells us, don't be a hearer only, but be a doer. So that helps us during trials and endurance, right? What does Jesus say about listening to his word? There's no stability in your soul if you're not applying the word. There's a contrast. Someone who hears the word and someone who does the word. That's that's right. You have to be in fellowship. We have all these new doctrines after post-Jesus, post-ascension. So we have to be in fellowship with God, God the Holy Spirit. And so the stability comes from the hearing of the word, but not just the hearing of the word, the application of the word. We find that from the Lord himself. The person who hears this and does not do them will be like a person who's slammed how many times? Three times, the trials of life. You get hit with a crisis. Boom, 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 boom. And great was its fall to the person who simply hears. Not the time to be quick to hear. Now you're to apply it. Don't just hear the word. Do it. Apply it. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because you know it's for the testing of your faith. God is not trying to prove you wrong. Not trying to prove that you're weak. He's trying to prove that you need him. And you ought to depend on him through his word, through his doctrines that are found in scripture. Life is going to hit you hard. It's going to hit you in the gut. But if you stand on God's word, you can weather anything. He's there on your, in your corner, in your, on your side. But it's us that have the problem. We either believe God. In essence, if I could distill all of this, Freddie's version, uh, commentary on the Bible, you either believe him or you don't. That's, it boils down to that. Do you believe God? That's all it is. Genesis to Revelation. You either believe him or you don't. It's all about faith. What does the scripture say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he's all about you wanting, him wanting you to trust him. So you have to exert your confidence in him, your trust in him. And that's only going to come as a direct result of application of doctrine, application of God's word. Not being a hearer only, but applying it. It's right in front of us. Don't be a doer only, uh, but doers of be doers of the word, not hearers. That word be is in the imperative mood. And so that is a direct command. That's command number two in James chapter one of 59 commands in this book. 59 commands, and there's a thousand, what did I say? A thousand twenty-two in the New Testament. 
613 in the Old Testament, and I think it's 1,022 in the New Testament. So now you know too. Count it all joy, be doers. Everett? Yeah. I gotta be doers. I gotta be giving. I gotta do this and do that. Yeah. However, you know, that may be a misconstrued. In this verse. Of the verse exactly. That's right. Very good observation, Everett. It's the command and the doing of his word. And that does not necessarily mean that you have to do this, that, and the other. The context ultimately determines what you're doing. So in this case here, the application of his word, in other words, James is saying, look, you've got, you're hearing his word. Are you doing it? Are you trusting in him? I said in the beginning, count it all joy. Are you counting it all joy? If you don't understand that, he said, whoever asks in faith will be answered. He who lacks what? Wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. So the context there is, if you can't understand the trial that you're going through, ask of God and he will answer you. Will he answer you through the pages of scripture? Maybe not right then and there. Maybe as you soak in the word of God and you understand it and you pray and you fellowship with other believers, the answer I believe will come through. Because sometimes it's not just going to be there popping in front of you, especially when you're going through a trial. It's very difficult to do anything when you're undergoing a trial. I mean, if you're going through hardship, would you want to have a Bible study with me? If you lost your job, would you want to have Bible study and have prayer time? Probably not. If we're... Okay. We have someone who's mature here. We, we She knows. Well, the average person, okay... If I'm going through hardship and I hear something like something going on with your kids and I'm, I'm mad and you say, Freddie, you want to have Bible study? Uh, not today. I probably won't want to because I've got other things on my mind. Should I be putting priority on God's word? Of course. But sometimes that's not always the case. Didn't Jesus say, not my cup, but thy cup, thy will, not my will, but thine will? So even the humanity of Christ, there were times where he would say, Father, If it's possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, thine will. So, And he sweated drops of blood. So he was probably a little concerned and stressed, wouldn't you say? Yes. That's true. That is true. In that sense, it is true because he knew. God the Son knew. There was joy set forth before him, but there is that prayer that he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass. So from the stand... Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. But I guess maybe in general, I don't know if anybody can agree... I think when we're going through hardship in general, the average person probably is not going to be quick to say uh, doctrine. 
I think if they're going through hardship, they lost, they had a, um, let's say they had a um, miscarriage. Oh, honey, let's have a Bible study. They might not want to. They just lost a loved one. Yes. That comes through. That's right. But what... Well, I think my point uh, ever since is that we study the doctrine beforehand, before the crisis, before the trial, because it's only then that we can pull it out, right? We can apply it. But if we're not grounded, if we have believing, we have believing friends, right, that is not properly grounded, would you say? And they are going through hardship. I know someone right now who lost a loved one. And if they're not grounded, I can't just say, hey, praise the Lord. Absent from the body is to be, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They're not going to get it. Why? They don't have enough doctrine stored. So like Jesus, when he met up with Martha and Mary, he didn't, he didn't uh, say, hey, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He wept. When he was with the sisters, he wept. Jesus wept. So he, he felt the, the pain of the sisters. And this, Martha was like, you know, if you were only here earlier, my brother might not have died. Hint, hint. But what's found in those words is something that I think we sometimes miss. She had the faith. She had faith that if Jesus was just there, Lazarus would not have died. Think about that. If you were just here earlier, my brother would not have died. But even now, we know that if you ask God anything, remember that, the follow-up? So her faith was being displayed during a very difficult time in her life. Right there, in the face of death. So, I would agree that It all depends on the individual, the application. I'm up with you. Before the crisis. Yeah, we want to get grounded beforehand, not during the crisis. That's not the time to open your Bible and look for promises of God, promises of God, promises of God. Some people, that's, yes, some people, they, they only open their Bibles when they're going through hardship. The only time they go to church is when there's a crisis, right? Someone's in the hospital, go to church. 9-11, what happened? Churches were busting out the doors. Only during hardship. But for the believer, I agree that we should be getting into the Word. We should be focused on the Word, focused on Bible doctrine. But I'm saying in general. Because we're amidst people who are thinking contrary to God's word today. And so we have to be able to adjust and deal with those where they are, just as Jesus did. He could have just said, hey, what did he say to his disciples when he said, stay here and pray while I go pray to, the, to my father? Stay awake. And what did he do? Was he upset when he came back? What did he say when he came back? Do you remember the specific details? It's very telling. He said, 
Theron, I was only gone for an hour. You fell asleep again? One hour. He went to pray for one hour. How many of you can have, how many of you pray for an hour? Look at it. The details of scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. What does every word say? I was only gone for an hour. He prayed to his father for an hour. That's where things are getting done. So be doers of the word. So let's pull it together. We've got this ginomai poetes, ascreta. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So he goes on now. Look at verse 23. It's very interesting here. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. So here is James's addition to 22. He goes on to say the following. If anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You guys understand what James is saying here? Does anybody have a mirror? Darren, do you have a mirror? Look at what James is saying. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this person is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, and he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So let's just say this is the mirror. This is actually a mirror, the mirror of the word, right? So if I'm looking at the mirror, looking at my, what am I supposed to be doing with the mirror? I get up in the morning, what's the purpose of the mirror? I might not give that mirror back to you. No. To see my reflection and what? To see what's out of place. What else do we do in a mirror, in front of a mirror? Grooming. What else? Evaluate. Evaluate what? I, did I lose weight today? <laughs> right? What, ladies, what do you say when, you, when you're in the front of the mirror? Vanessa, what do you say when you're in the mirror? What do you... <laughs> I need help. Okay, anybody else? We probably say, oh my gosh, I, my glasses are getting thicker. Why am I blind? No, but the mirror is designed to what? Evaluate yourself. I mean a, a literal mirror. Brian, do you use a mirror? Okay. So the mirror is supposed to tell you what you don't see. It's showing you the reality of you. So I'm sitting here and say, oh my gosh, I got all this stuff in the side of my mouth. I better wipe this off before I go to the meeting. I better brush my teeth. I got dinner from last night still on my teeth. And my hair is out of place. Well, it can't be. I just had a haircut. It's designed to show you reality about yourself. It's supposed to be a... An instrument of change. So listen now with that insight. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He's like a man observing himself in the mirror. He sees things out of place. He knows he has to fix his hair, but he doesn't. He doesn't brush his teeth. He doesn't change. He doesn't clean his eyes. So now he looks at himself in the mirror and observes and goes away and forgets. He forgets he has to wipe, wipe his eyes, wipe his mouth. He forgets he, ha- he has to tuck his shirt in because the mirror showed the reality of the shirt is sticking out and I forgot to tuck it in my pants. And so now if I'm just hearing the word and not doing it, James says it's like a person who stands in front of a mirror and doesn't do anything about what he sees. We all use the mirror before we go out to work, before we go to school, before we go out for any appointment, before we come to church, hopefully. Right? It's designed to show the reality of self, what we see. But the word is the mirror. So when we we reflect in God's word, which is our mirror, it shows us the reality of self. We are fallen short of the glory of God, but we have an advocate, the advocate Christ Jesus. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. We see all these truths in the word, the mirror. And so when we reflect on it, as we study it, if we do it, look at verse 23. If anyone is a hearer, but not a doer, that person is like a person who looks in the face, he looks in the mirror, and he observes and goes away and forgets what kind of man he is. He forgets to make the changes. You forget to tuck your shirt in. You forget to button your shirt. You forget everything. The word is designed to show the reality of where we are. So as we engage in the word, as we study it, we get to make adjustments where necessary. Make sense? So that's 23 and 24. That now takes us to 27. Oh, before I... Oh, I just saw it already. People would often say, well, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. You heard that before? Well, James talks about a religion, a pure religion. That is acceptable to God. You know that? Look at what it says in 127. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father, or God the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So not not get entangled with the things of the world. So here is a religion that is acceptable before God. It's considered pure and undefiled. Notice what it says here in 27. Kaithrese, or threskeia, is the word for religion. Pure and undefiled threskeia. Before God and the Father is this. You want to practice religion. This is what it looks like. You should visit orphans and widows when? During their troubles. In their troubles. Orphans, widows in their troubles, and, don't forget, Keep oneself unspotted from the world. So your vertical relationship should be expressed horizontally. It should show compassion towards orphans and widows or providing for those who can do nothing for you in return because that's what God the Father did for us. Keep yourself unstained 
Don't let the world rub off on you. Instead, rub off on the world and leave behind a trace of grace wherever you go. And so, I, Rick, I don't mind. I hope you don't mind. Can I share something about tomorrow, yesterday's prayer meeting? I'm not going to mention any particulars. I'll just say in general. Uh, what you mentioned, what you shared, without saying what it is. I mean, your friend. Yeah, is that okay? Okay. Well, I, I thought this was very. Uh, it ties into this. So this pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows in their trouble. Rick had mentioned during the prayer meeting that he prays for a friend. He goes out of his way and he's been impacting his friend or trying to witness to his friend and share the gospel. And that, I think, is profound. That is a good thing. We should be doing that. We should be sharing, reaching out to those who are in need. Rick's friend is in need. What is he in need of? A savior. But here it talks about pure religion is visiting orphans, those in need, and widows during their times of trouble, while at the same time keeping oneself unspotted from the world. So this is the climax of chapter 1 of James. He says, look, if you want to practice religion, this is what it is. Make sure you take care of people who need help, like the orphans and widows during their times of trouble, and keep yourself unspotted of the world. So now, some closing observations and we're done. There's only a few. Observation number one. Reward comes after the testing has been endured. We saw that in verse 12. So reward comes after the testing has been endured. So we have to give it some time. That's verse 12. Point number two. God brought us forth by his word He adopted us into his family as children through the word of truth. And this includes uh, physical birth and spiritual birth. That's found in verse 18 when we looked at that together. Point number three is listening properly is one of the keys to endurance under a trial. And that's found in verse 19. So listening properly is one of the keys, and there are several, but one of the keys to endurance under a severe testing or trial. Point number four. Remember, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It is never an expression of the indwelling presence of God in our lives. That's the the force of verse 20. That's why James brings that out. He wants us to know that if we're not applying the doctrines that's stated in this passage and we're going to be angry, that is not a reflection of godliness. That is not a reflection of God in your life. So you're getting quick to fire up. You're not slow to speak, quick to listen, and you're getting angry. The wrath of man, the anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. That's verse 20. So that concludes our service. Let's close in a word of prayer and then... We'll have one last song. Father, thank you as always for the opportunity to examine your word. And I pray, Lord, that the truths that we looked at together would be helpful for us as believers in Christ and that we would be found guilty of being doers of your word, not just simply hearers of it. 
Thank you for this time. I pray that you would keep us all safe when we go home. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.